this is just a test of the idea of also recording a podcast audio lesson to go along with our Boussard Ground Pounder task book. So one that we've been working on recently is Scene Size Up, which is a medic skill that everyone who does any kind of first response needs to know from Good Samaritan who wants to protect themselves all the way up through your advanced paramedics to your full-on, full-time medical providers. It's critical for taking care of yourself, controlling the scene, um, and just making sure that you're following the right order of operations once you're in there and doing the job. So it's a setup before contacting the patient. It's everything you do from the moment that you are reaching the scene until your hands start to touch that patient. There's a great mnemonic device that's taught by the Advanced Wilderness uh, Life Support System. It's all taught by Knowles. It's one, two, three, four, five. And in the early stages of learning this, until you have done patient contacts dozens and dozens of times, this should be a conscious process of thinking one, two, three, four, five, and addressing each one before moving to the next. While practicing this with the team in the learn lesson, while doing it without prompting in the do lesson, and then as you reteach this on the teach task, you should be verbalizing the mnemonic and then talking through those steps before moving on to the next part of the mnemonic. That way, the instructor can tell that you understand and are addressing the totality of that part of the mnemonic device. What doesn't work well is walking up, handling those things mentally, and all the observer can see is that you're walking by, mumbling to yourself, your gloves go on, and then you start talking to the patient. There's no way of knowing that you've actually thought through those things, and you don't want to start mixing them together either. Down the line, if you do this a lot, like any other skill, it becomes autonomic, and you start to do these things without realizing it, and that's fine. For now, verbalize each one as you go. Okay, so the mnemonic is one, two, three, four, five. One, I'm number one. Two, what happened to you? Three, keep it off of me. Four, are there any more? And five, dead or alive. Now, if you're listening to this lesson, I want you to repeat those out loud after I say them. It may feel kind of silly, but these things actually lock it into our memory better when we say it out loud. So repeat after me. One, I'm number one. Two, what happened to you? Three, keep it off of me. Four, are there any more? Five, dead or alive. Okay, so what does it mean? One, I'm number one. The medic can't do the job unless they're safe. That's you. 
you can't treat this patient and you may make the situation worse if you end up getting yourself hurt and turning it into a more complicated rescue than it had to be. So on the way in, you are responsible for identifying all the possible hazards and risks, things that you might have to contend with while you're working. So basically this whole process is gaining situational awareness of the situation, having starting to plan for how to deal with those things, and then taking care of them before the hands go on. Because once you start working on a patient, you're taking in a whole lot of new information. You're distracted in a good way by the things that their complaints are, are, are coming into your consciousness. And you shouldn't be putting a lot of energy and attention into going back to deal with reassessing things that outside that patient. So what goes into the I'm number one, the, the threats? Well, you need to be th looking 360 and up and over. Is it environmental? Is it rain, snow, sleet, branches, wind that could that could fall down? Or is there an overhang that's going to limit your mobility? Or is the patient in water? Is there a path that could of ATV tracks, mountain bike tracks, other hikers, things that are going to intrude on your scene? Are there other people here? If so, what's their disposition? Are they happy to see you? Are they going to be helpful? Are they going to do anything that can help you out? Are they going to be disruptive? Are they drunk? Are they overly concerned, um, intruding on your process? This is the opportunity to address them right away and set the tone. Establish yourself. Establish that you're taking over this scene. They need to listen to you. So with your big boy voice, you say, excuse me, I'm a medic. Are, who are you? You're with the patient? Fabulous. I'm going to take care of them. Please step back a little bit and let me help out. If I have anything that you can do to help, I'll let you know what it is. Thank you. Or something like that, right? So take control of the scene. If I consider bystanders to be a hazard until proven otherwise. So if you task them with something else, helpful, they're no longer a hazard. If you don't, they may get in your way and compromise your care for the patient. If you're at a roadside, what are the hazards? Is there an accident? Is there leaking gasoline? Is there a fire? Is there a potential, is there a blind turn that something could come around the road and hit you, a driver not paying attention? Can you use bystanders to flag down traffic and slow them down and, and help you out, right? Okay. Number two. What happened to you? This is a quick assessment trying to figure out the mechanism of injury or the type and severity of illness that you're looking at. This can get confused a little bit with number five. We'll talk about it there. But I like to think of this as an extension of number one where we're making sure that whatever happened to them is not also going to happen to me. If they've slipped off a hillside, if they've been scalped by a bear... I need to not fall off the hillside. I need to not be attacked by a bear that's still guarding its prey, right? So how could that mechanism relate back to me? Or it may start me down the path of thinking about algorithms. Is this a trauma situation? If so, how bad? Is this an illness? Is this person holding their tummy? Or are they obviously broken, lying on the ground unconscious, those, those kinds of things, right? Um, 
So then three, keep it off of me. This is the stage where we consciously make decisions about PPE, personal protective equipment, or BSI, body substance isolation. Whichever you want to call it, doesn't matter, but we're talking gloves and potentially a mask, potentially eyeglasses to protect things from splashing into your face, to protect from respiratory. Of course, gloves are the absolute standard practice when touching any patient, uh, which we discussed in our other lessons specifically on PPE and BSI. But especially while practicing this one, don't just go through the motion of putting on the gloves, verbalize, I'm three, keep it off of me. What could this patient present? If they are bleeding, at a minimum, we've got to have the gloves. But if they've got a spurting arterial, we don't want that to, to fly up in our eye. We can definitely transmit uh, bloodborne pathogens through the eyes or into the nose. If they are a coughing respiratory patient, we should put a mask on them and a mask on ourselves in the age of COVID, tuberculosis, things like that. Uh, 100%. If they're also that spurting bleeder, sorry, said eyewear. Okay, so think about that. Make decisions, say out loud why you do or don't need those things. Then four, are there any more? We don't want to tunnel vision on the first patient that we see. Easy example would be maybe you're you're riding a mountain bike trail and you come up on a, a patient down, thrown from their mountain bike. A lot of people ride with other folks. If they crash, someone else can easily get hurt trying to avoid their buddy that just went down in front of them. So they could have swerved to miss their friend and gone off the side of the embankment. They could be over a little berm or something out of sight, unconscious, not making noise. And if you rush in to look at your patient without scanning, trying to take in the situation, you might miss something, right? Um, this is not bystanders. Bystanders should have been addressed in step one because, again, they're a hazard till proven otherwise. Okay? So are there any more? Is there more to the party? If you, After you make contact with the patient, you can establish if there's someone else. At that point, if they say there is, if they're stable, you can go on and leave them for a second maybe and go check on another person. But we want to gather that data. Five, dead or alive. Now, this is just a basic where are we with this? Is this a, a person who's about to die terribly sick? You know, a cardiac symptoms, get a fist against their chest, sweating, slumped over, breathing fast kind of thing? Or is this somebody with a, a twisted ankle sitting on a rock rubbing their ankle? How bad is it? What does this say about the evacuation picture? What does it say about whether we're going to be bringing in other medics? Um, how fast do we need to work? Those kinds of things. And start, again, prepping our mental algorithms. Is this a bad trauma? Am I about to pull out airways and prep this person? Or am I going to make them laugh while we're taping their ankle? And it's going to be a nice day on the trail. Okay? So one, two, three, four, five. One, I'm number one. Two, what happened to you? Three, keep it off of me. Four, are there any more? Five, dead or alive. Now, the last things that need to happen before we put hands on a patient also is getting our identity out there and getting consent from the patient. So saying authoritatively again, 
My name is Wells. I'm a park medic, or I'm a medic with Team Busar here in the park. May I help you out? You look like you're hurt. Can I help you? Something along those lines where you actually gain permission to treat. It is not assumed with a conscious patient, even if they're in a a lot of pain, that you have a right to touch them. If you go ahead and start treating somebody and pulling clothes off and butt blood sweeping down their back and touching their butt and stuff, you can be charged with assault. You need to gain that right to do it. Um, people bring a, a lifetime of experience to this situation and you don't know what they've been through. You can cause yourself a problem. So get consent. Um, however, if a person is unconscious we have some protections from the Good Samaritan laws that we have an assumed um, permission to treat them if they're unconscious and can't speak for themselves or have an airway that's closed and they're unable to talk and not breathing, right? These are assumed consents.